Welcome to Through the Grapevine, a podcast eager to bring you closer to the makers and movers of our industry. Be sure to subscribe and join our community as our message is only as strong as our following. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Nottingham Sellers, located in the historic Livermore Valley. Now, here are your hosts, Colin Craner, Jeremy Truposi, and Jason Montero. Ladies and gentlemen, it's showtime. All right, all right, all right. We are back. This is through the Grapevine podcast. This is uh, J underscore Troop, or uh, actually recently changed the name to J- JTM in the Kitchen on Instagram. So um, we we only go by Instagram handles these days. So I got uh, Colin Craner, the winemaker, next to me for uh, for for the second week in a row. Good to have you there, bud. How you doing over there, man? Good Happy to be back. Friday the twentieth. Yes. Yep. The curfew is in effect as of tomorrow, tonight, tonight, tomorrow. Nevertheless, get out there and get wild one more time. But be safe. We are happy to be back. We are happy to be back. Happy holidays. This is probably a Tuesday or a Wednesday or maybe even Thanksgiving when you're listening. So if you are listening, um, hope you're enjoying yourself. Uh, You know, pour, pour some out for the homies. But nevertheless, we are excited to introduce our guest today. All the all all the history, um, which I'm sure she'll get into a little bit. But we've got fourth generation wine grower and CEO of Wenty Family Vineyards, Carolyn Wenty, in the in the studio today. How is it going? It's great, thank you, and so fun to see you all. Absolutely, <laughs> with our with our masks on. I know. Yep. Hey, it is what it is. We got to do. What we got to do. I guess. And yeah, we'll we'll keep them on for a minute. And like you said, when, once the wine gets flowing, yeah. you know, yeah. the masks start going. Somehow so. it works like that. Science works that way. <laughs> if you're well, drinking wine or coffee, you can't spread the... It, or sitting right. down. Well, right. and, and alcohol, you know, the little <laughs> bit of... See. Should kill anything. Exactly. See? Now we're there. It's pretty much now sterile. Cool. Well, how's it... I mean, how how is your, how is your, how is your year been going for, you know, for you? That's always kind of the... Everyone kind of comes full circle for a second. It's like, how the, how the heck has it been for you this year with all that's going on? Oh, it's been crazy. You know, I think... Um, uh, like many people, I'm feeling Groundhog Day mm-hmm. every day. Uh, when when do mm-hmm. we break out and and return to? And I don't think we're going to return to a mm-hmm. normal or what we used to to know. Yeah. So it will be. A um, but I have such a great team in place at the winery that um, uh, when it hit. They were very nimble, and uh, you know we were able to continue to uh, address every challenge that came up. And so it's uh, been crazy. And I think in all the years I've been in the industry, I haven't seen such a crazy year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's—I have to say—it's um, brought the team closer, and uh, hard, difficult decisions had mm. to be made. With regard to people, and people yeah. are how you got to where you are, right? Mm-hmm. So, yep. sure, yep. I mean, and yeah, we're all dealing with it. I mean, I, I'm, and I'm curious, just you know, someone, someone at the scale, where you know, as far as business, where where would you say you guys were hit the hardest? And if it's you know, maybe it's people, maybe, but where would you say you know? So, yeah, two things. One is people, because of all of our lifestyle businesses that we have on mm-hmm. property. Um, or did have on property immediately had to be shut down mm-hmm. and didn't reopen anything until the end of September uh, and just very slow controlled opening by reservations. And so you're talking to someone who normally sees 300,000 people across our properties in a given year. Mm-hmm. 
and if we're, I think we're under twenty thousand at wow. this point. So Crazy. it's that's that's kind of been a huge impact. Yeah. On the flip side, um, you know, I think because we are a national brand and an international brand, we had a a pretty good footprint, particularly in retail. So, mm. like many wineries that had that footprint, we were able to um, continue to grow. Mm-hmm. in the U.S. market and the international mm-hmm. market. Awesome. About 30% of our sales okay. are on-premise. So we were hit by 30% when everything shut down. But retail outperformed that. So, That's amazing. you know, from a wine sales year, it's been good. Good. And then, of course, we have Harvest, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. There, yep. What, you a got year. That what a year for that. Jeez, just a, yeah. Everybody. You guys wrapped up as they Pressed out and just kind of, yeah, tied in up at this point. Exactly. Gotcha. I think, you know, tasting each vineyard block, each lot, trying to determine um, how great it is. I mean, from a growing season perspective, Mm -hmm. uh, Elizabeth Kessler, who's one of our winemakers, was, she said in all the years she's been here, she hasn't seen more beautiful fruit coming in. Mm -hmm. And or but um, you kind of have to wait until it gets all the way through and and you understand if there's any smoke effect or not. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yeah. yeah, it was certainly looking like a banner year everywhere. Yeah. Um, just yeah. things were everybody was excited. Yeah, good numbers, we just good visuals. Yeah. Yeah. We were so close. It was the last lap. Right. You just but why would 2020 dish us an epic vintage? Right. There's just no way. That's, <laughs> yeah. It doesn't fit the mold. Everything else was screwed up. But before we get too far into it, I imagine and I hope and I, and I, and I know we'll get we'll, we'll have a few new listeners um, just because you're here with us, which we are grateful for. Um, but just wanted to take a second to kind of reintroduce the podcast a little bit to those who may be listening for the first time. So, um, shit, almost two years now at this point, we we started this podcast um, in hopes to, you know, in, 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 to... To let, to let our voices be heard and hopefully find like a communal a voice that, you know, a, a region can maybe help get behind and we can kind of start marching forward in, in, in all the pieces. Um, additionally, we all, you know, we're always comparing ourselves in Livermore Valley to other wine regions, um, you know, particularly Napa, as you know, Napa kind of exists as Hollywood in California as far as hospitality is concerned. Um, but we, we we strongly believe we have all those same players here. Um, the biggest difference is they just, we don't, we don't see them as much. So we wanted to, you know, build this p- podcast as an opportunity to let some people People talk about sure. themselves, quite honestly, showcase and, and the, showcase the best the, producers of food, wine, all those things, and the craft that we have yeah. here, right? Absolutely. And we've had, and and obviously that has developed immensely over the two years, and to the point of just like where we just enjoy having the conversations with people for the sake of sharing tough conversations, sometimes great conversations, talking, you know, hanging out with Paul Halverson, whatever it may be. Um, so if this is your first time listening, that's that's kind of who we are. You know, you can go back to our first episode, the pilot, <laughs> the, uh, the the uh, the audio quality. There's definitely a, a difference. But um, with that said, let's just jump in. You know, with all that's going on this year in 2020, I wanted to start with this question here. You know, we're approaching holidays. When is it appropriate to put your Christmas lights up? <laughs> is it something we should wait for after Thanksgiving? I think, <laughs> I think day after Thanksgiving, but if you're in retail, maybe a little sooner, I guess. All right, yeah, because Craig was getting on me yesterday. I just wanted to throw that one. In. Are you a? Is this your time oh, of the year? I'm, when... I, you can't tell. I'm just smiling behind my mask here because last week my son, who lives in Dallas and sells wine for Southern Glaciers Wine and Spirits. Um, shot me a little video of his apartment, and it he 
had decorated it, put up his <laughs> fake Christmas tree, awesome. and I guess he had some extra Christmas lights, which he then strung around the ceiling. And so he, you know, he scanned the room. <laughs> And yep. I said, wow, you're up awfully festive. Of and That and, is what I'm talking about. But then you look at the warmth and the glow from the tree and the lights. It just it gets you in a certain mood, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I couldn't anyway. agree more. Does that Even change? in our front place, yeah, our, our neighbors uh, did us a solid and just kind of decorated the whole front, uh, Rosie Fiero mm-hmm. and Frank over there. And just walk in and you're yeah. like, wow, God, it's amazing what a few lights will do. Yeah, right? and it's just normally a conversation a that, you know, people, we're all giving each other a little bit of heck yeah. throughout yeah. the next, you know, couple of weeks. But <laughs> I, I imagine everyone's just eager to get them out. So if you haven't, like, I think this, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, it's time. Like, go ahead, get them up. We could all use a little bit of that cheer. I know I've already started popping open the uh, Christmas albums, but... And, and away we go. All right. We, we cleared the air. We got that <laughs> out the way. Um, cool. Well, we're happy to have you here. TTG, Advanced Creative Studio, all the above. But um, before we, I mean, and as we dive in, I mean, I would love to learn a little bit more about kind of how, you know, what, what, what is your role within the company? What is, you know, what is Carolyn up to, um, you know, most days? How does she facilitate the new generation coming in behind you? Just like, what is it, what does a day-to-day kind of look like for, for, for you or a week look like for you these days? Yeah, so I, I think the key thing my two brothers and I are, are most proud of is that we have, between the three of us, six uh, cousins that are all in the fifth generation, and um, five of the six are actually back working in, at the winery in a different um, uh, discipline or expertise or passion that they have, and so... Uh, I think that will only make us stronger as a winery because each of them are contributing. You know, it's not like you have two people who are super excited about wanting to go out and market. Yeah. We got one marketer. We got, you know, a viticulturalist, a winemaker. And so uh, that coupled with um, our senior leadership and management team, and as we t- started this off with people, we just have great people. And so no days um, – like any other day. Uh, yeah, every day is a new day uh, for me to answer your question. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think it's, it is about integrating that new leadership team to mm-hmm. take on and own where the future of the winery is going to go. Mm-hmm. My two brothers and I, fourth generation, I would say, have always considered ourselves the stewards. I, you know, the winery was given to us in our early 20s because my father died at age 49. Mm-hmm. And so um, we uh, f- were given the winery, right? Yeah. And so I think we had an appreciation that uh, we had to grow it and and manage it to be a, a, a business that creates enterprise value so that uh, those who want to come in as an- another generation can carry it on and still have that same entrepreneurial spirit mm-hmm. of growing mm-hmm. the winery. Otherwise, sure. you can't afford yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so. Ain't that the truth? What are you? So, and there is. Uh, I'm always. Can you? Can you briefly take take me through the, the family tree? How you know? I'm I'm thinking about the Wenty website right now, and I see Eric. I see Eric, Phil, and Caroline there, and then you got the uh, the next generation. The next generation, it, Bucky, in Texas. That is in that Texas. is that is yours. Yep. Phil has the girls. He has Eric the three is, girls, and, and Eric has the two oldest or eldest of the fifth generation, okay. and that's Christine who is president and manages our family foundation. Mm -hmm. And then Carl, that you all know as Mm -hmm. my COO Mm -hmm. and uh, chief winemaker. Mm -hmm. Awesome. 
So I'm just I, so running a family business is something that you two can obviously speak to a little bit. I, and I'm just kind of curious, and maybe you both chime in. But what, I mean, Colin, start. What would you say is the uh, say the biggest challenge of running a family a family business is? Um, creating. I think the biggest thing creating separation, finding time to. Hey, Dad, what's going on mm-hmm. outside of like, hey, look at this spreadsheet or let's talk about a plan that we have or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. So um, I think, yeah, finding time to kind of separate that, which mm-hmm. which honestly is tough because we love what we do. We love the business. Yeah. And so it's just like a natural conversation that it goes to, whether it's heated or it's a lively one and a fun one. So mm-hmm. um, but, yeah, you know, we used to play golf and stuff and do things like that and. Now it's more just kind of sitting down, enjoying some wine, which is not always yeah. not a terrible thing. But yeah, finding that separation, I think, is the biggest thing. Yeah. Hopefully, you haven't given up the golf. I know, yeah. <laughs> not as much. I mean, I got a kid now too, so yeah. golf is down. I played a little recently, but yeah, harvest the... was kind of slow for us, so we didn't have much going on. A lot of yeah, we were definitely drinking wine. <laughs> <laughs> we were, oh yeah. So, COVID did I, did you have the like COVID like ramp up to like more wine and then like level off like oh my god I'm tired of drinking and then you're like I, that's how I went and I just kind of had like a no drinking for a, a minute there just a, like yeah but now it's winter cleanse. it's the holidays and yeah. wine is. Just, yeah, yeah, I didn't have that level off period. <laughs> no, no, I, I, just, just saying. I went, yeah, I went from like not really drinking during the week to like wine every day and mm-hmm. a lot of it. But no, I, I've been always a wine every day girl. Yeah, yeah I know, that's right? Good. And I'm, yeah, I'm the same, even if it's just a glass, but I generally drink. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm every talking about when you grab day. the bottle. Yeah. <laughs> how about, but how about over there? I mean, you know, family's a, a, a bit bigger, different scale as well. But what are some of those challenges that, that you've faced this year? Just this year, or, or in or, general? I mean, sorry, actually, in general as well, as running a family business is more than just twenty twenty. Well, you know, I th- I think um, well put about dads and family business and stuff. I think what my two brothers and I really want most in life is to be able to sit down and have dinner together or a family celebration, whether it's birthdays or holidays, and. Um, have the family enjoy each other and, and not have it always be about business. Now, mm-hmm. on the other hand, my husband would say, you sit down at the table and that's all anybody ever talks about. <laughs> or, or naturally, sure. you, you may start talking about something else, but then it sort of all comes back to that. Uh, and and I would say he's been such a good balance for me in my life about, because you can work 24-7 when you own your own business. Mm-hmm. You yep. can work 24-7 even if you don't. But mm-hmm. I think there there is such a passion of of and pride in what we do that it's hard to separate it from um, you know your your balance I guess in life and so my husband's really good about hey you know I married you mm-hmm. and for a reason and that's because I actually do want to see you and have <laughs> conversations so yeah. anyway he's good at, at kind of calling me out on it mm-hmm. very cool yeah I see so yeah maybe maybe one day I'll uh, yeah maybe one day I don't know we'll see family business maybe you'll adopt me or something <laughs> we'll see I wanted to go back to you know and we might get there elsewhere but uh, you, you mentioned being nimble this year um, and mm-hmm. one of the things you guys did early on that I was just like wow that was huge the Alexa thing can you hey alexa tell can you tell us how that came to be is that something that was being worked on before covid and no it was really one of those light bulbs that went on with our marketing team of we've got to be able to connect with people and and look at the trends of where everybody shifted to buying things online Mm -hmm. so 
they came up with this idea and have taken it and run with it. And it's been really fun. Yeah. You know, so. What an amazing idea. Yeah. So, and, go ahead. Was that, was that led by the, uh, by the newest on board in Allie? As- in, well, Allie was part of that team because mm. certainly she's the brand manager for Winty Vineyards. Mm. But I think it was a, a brainstorming session with the entire mm-hmm. group. I wouldn't uh, credit mm-hmm. Allie as the only one, yeah. but she certainly got it going through. Heck so, yeah. yeah. That, that was, was very yeah. cool. I thought that was interesting as well. Yeah, I just and then the first is it still the first of its kind? Is no one else has done that yet? I can't answer that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. the first, nevertheless. (laughs) Yeah, very, very another first. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah, maybe it's a talk about some first, maybe about Livermore Valley and some of the things you guys have done and helped pioneer this region. Let's paint a picture about. I mean, the, the biggest thing about Wente is it's just a legacy here in Livermore. So. Outside looking in, we're all here because you guys have created this opportunity, mm-hmm. um, the South Livermore plan, all those things. But tell us about some Wente first. I mean, gosh, we could probably spend the next hour on some Wente yeah. first. So. <laughs> well, so I think first, my great-grandfather was attracted here because there were many great wine pioneers in California that had established themselves here in the Livermore Valley mm-hmm. and and probably the key leader being Charles Wetmore, who was uh, appointed by the state legislature to be the first agricultural commissioner Hmm. in the state. And as we all know the history, he was really charged with going over to France and bringing back grape cuttings from many of the great chateaus. And where did he decide to plant his uh, nursery vineyard with these cuttings, but here in the Livermore Valley? And so that, along with some of the other wine pioneers that were here, I think is what attracted my great-grandfather to um, purchase the 47 acres of vineyard. Actually, it had already been planted, and he Mm -hmm. became a partner with uh, two dentists. Must have had tax Mm write-offs back then, too. I don't know. (laughs) But anyway, so that was how we got started. Um, And and then my great-grandfather bought them out. But... Uh, I think in terms of first, you know, it's it's about the uh, Winty clone of Chardonnay, which my great-grandfather, or I'm sorry, my grandfather was in the first graduating class from the University of California at Davis. Mm-hmm. And he had a professor there who encouraged him to uh, look at Chardonnay and think about planting it and expanding it in the Livermore Valley because he believed the soils and the climates would be ideal. And I think that's what inspired my grandfather to uh, begin his uh, field selection mm-hmm. of Chardonnays and, and continue, to, continue to expand and hone what is now known as the Winty clone. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, another first is varietal labeling. After Prohibition, my uh, grandfather and great uncle really wanted to say, hey, we are growing the finest grape varieties here in the Livermore Valley. The first varietally labeled wine that they released was a 1932 vintage dated Sauvignon Blanc. Mm -hmm. And then the next was a Chardonnay, a 1936 uh, vintage dated one. Those are the two that are are generally most touted. But they had a Uni Blanc and a Mm -hmm. Simeon and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they were were doing a lot of, but it was varietal specific. Mm -hmm. And the idea was to let the consumer know what was in the bottle of wine and that they were using the greatest grape varieties grown in the world, mm-hmm. right? And and I think that was an important distinction for really putting Livermore Valley on the nap, map mm-hmm. and, and Winty Vineyards, too, in terms of being a fine wine producer. 
you know, and you can go fast forward with my dad being one of the first to be down in Monterey County planting vineyard along with the Palmasan Winery and the Marisu family mm -hmm. in the early 1960s, first to open a tasting room uh, in mm -hmm. the mid-1960s, tasting really? rooms to the public. Mm -hmm. Wow, really... that's very cool. Yeah. That's one I didn't know. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, so, you know, all sorts of, of sure. fun things like that. What did the what did the winery look like when oh, you when you're fit when you're you, you mentioned your father passed early and your you and your brothers were kind of given the keys to the to the winery to run it? What was kind of the focus of the winery then? Maybe variety wise or just ideas wise, and maybe an idea of like what was the scale like versus now, and how have those things kind of changed mm -hmm. to where they are now? Yeah, so um, we. I guess scale-wise, um, maybe not quite as much capacity as we currently have. But sure. the winery, when my two brothers and I took it over, and particularly my brother Eric, who was winemaker at that time, stepped up to be president of the winery, um, we we kind of stepped back. And my dad had really started down this path, but uh, you know, died too early to mm. uh, accomplish it. But looking at 90% of the wines we were producing in 1977 were white wine and 10% were red. Wow. And so uh, we did not believe that was the future of the California wine industry. And so um, uh, really the vision was how do you get a better balance? And part of that, um, that heavy skew towards white was because since the 19 early 1940s, we always marketed our wines with the Louis Martini family. Hmm. So they, on the other hand, were 90% red, 10% ah, white. Ah. And so both families kind of said, you know, if we're going to um, grow in the future, we need to get better balance in our portfolios. Hmm. And, and at that point is pretty much when we decided to split away from each other and hmm. not market our wines together anymore. Wow. So that was one of the, the key... Um, uh, I guess, focus was white wines, how do we transform into 50-50? Mm -hmm. and, and we're pretty much there today, okay. although I, maybe 60% white, um, heavily skewed towards Chardonnay. Sure. Um, was, that the, was that the case in 77 as well, as far as that 90% that number? Was that heavily Chardonnay at that point as well? or was uh, it uh, Actually, it was probably a, a mix between uh, Grey Riesling, yeah. mm -hmm. um, what we called Le Blanc de Blanc, which was a Gewürztraminer, Riesling, and Uni Blanc mm. blend, and Chenin Blanc, um, so the white of whites, right? Mm. And cool. that was extremely popular, both of those great varieties. But pretty soon, um, I think this whole idea of, of Chardonnay mm. really um, took off right about that time. And, and so we we couldn't produce enough Chardonnay to keep up with the demand. Mm -hmm. And and so we started... Uh, replanting vineyards or grafting over and, and trying to catch up. So, mm -hmm. Very cool. Yeah. That's very cool. What's, uh, <laughs> is there any Shannon left? In I was, uh, <laughs> dude, I heard Shannon and I was like, what? Is there? Uh, I don't know if there, I, I'm not sure I've heard of any in Livermore still. I don't think we have any more, no. Yeah. <sighs> and, you know, when Carl does his little rap routine and, <laughs> and does the 34 yeah. grape varieties two, that we grow. Two, yeah, 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 I don't I think Shannon's in that. I can't even say that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> 
We can go back. We, he, he did it on the we podcast. Should have we should put can, that on the soundboard. Uh, just let him rip through it real we quick. We answer that. Hey, Caroline, can you tell us what varieties you grow? And then just play the cards. <laughs> he named. I, yeah, he's, that was the first time I ever heard him do. And I was like, holy smokes! He's such a concise speaker at such a high rate. Like, like he's <laughs> just a machine gun. Yeah, it's like, hold on. I know. <laughs> I've seen him and Amy Hoops kind of get like you know going where their brains are working and they're talking. And you're like. It's like a boxing match. What's going on? This is entertaining. Oh heck yeah! Well, we're having fun with this. Isn't that isn't that a trip? So I was uh, I was doing a little bit of research on research where I could. Um, I kind of and what the, I think one of the consistencies I found a, a lot about you is how much you enjoy food and wine, like the rest of us. But yeah. specifically talking about food and wine, it seems like you, you you're kind of the uh, the chef, the, the cook of the uh, of the family of the, of the older generation as well. Uh, but just like, you know, can you speak to uh, how did those two meet? Because I'm someone who absolutely loves food and wine um, to the most molecular of levels. Uh, but how did that happen for you? Gosh, um, I, I, I would say that I, I kind of grew up um, – mm-hmm. Yeah, doing it right. Farming grapes and yeah. making wine, and, and well, and vegetable gardens and citrus sure. orchards and fig trees and avocado trees. I mean, those were all a part of our family gardens or orchards that we had around us. And um, I, my grandparents on my father's side lived about a mile away through the vineyards um, from where my two brothers and mm-hmm. I and my parents lived. And so I could get on my bike or I could get on my horse. And every Saturday morning, I'd be over visiting with my my grandmother because I just mm-hmm. adored her. And we would um, we would can things. We would work in the garden. Um, she she um, you know actually pretty unusual. Graduated from the University of California, Berkeley, mm-hmm. um, in the early 1900s with mm-hmm. a degree in chemistry mm-hmm. and wow. home. I think they called it home economics at that time. So that was her major, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and she came back and and she was very precise in the kitchen and a great baker. Mm-hmm. And so baking is about the chemistry Absolutely. and precision. Yeah. Um, so she kind of uh, got me trained on that side. Just every weekend mm-hmm. we'd be baking bread or, you know, dumplings or pies or cookies. Mm-hmm. And, and then my mom was a, a savory cook and... Mm-hmm. She, my dad would call her, you know, at 10 o'clock, oh, Trader Vic just dropped in to taste some wines. I'm bringing them home for lunch. Can you put something on the table? And my mom would be like, okay, yeah, right. And so <laughs> she, I learned the art of pantry, right? Uh-huh. That you have enough staples in your pantry that you can pull something together immediately um, on the fly and have a, a, a nice meal. Mm-hmm. And but she was very thoughtful about the flavors in that that would be showcasing whatever wine my dad. Oh, by the way, he would say, and I'll be bringing home X Y Z wines. You know, so <laughs> so, so make it work, please. Right, right. <laughs> and so she had she had some tricks of the trade that she, um, uh, you know, passed on to me. But I was sort of the sous chef to her and mm-hmm. chief bottle washer, right? So mm, yeah. I got to <laughs> serve. And, and I swore when I graduated from high school that if I never had to wash another wine glass, <laughs> I'd be the happiest kid on earth. Um, but I, that, didn't, sure, yeah. that didn't You've last too long. Yeah. So, anyway, so that's, I, you know, kind of just grew up doing it. And 
became sec- second nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I came back to the winery, I mean, my brother Phil said, I was like, well, what do I really know about sales and marketing? Because I was in banking and I was a financial analyst uh, for an agricultural bank. And, um, and, and Phil said, well, you've been doing it your whole life. You've been selling these um, key buyers that dad brings through, or you've been on business trips with mom and dad up and down the East Coast or, you know, down in the South, selling wine all the time, Carolyn. So what's so different? You know, come mm-hmm. back. <laughs> come yeah. to work and let's go let's do this. Let's busy. That's so. very cool. And as far as food and wine, I'm curious. The phrase still goes, but I'd say back in the day it was a little more what grows together goes together. And then at some point in in, in culinary exploration, it, it got – A little fusion going you know, on. And then it was like more intense, right? And like the perfect pairing versus just like, well, we have fig trees on the property and we make Merlot and, you know, whatever right. it may be. Right. As far as like culinary, you know, we're kind of stepping outside, you know, the winery per se, but just watching culinary through the decades. Was there a particular time where you saw food and wine pairings kind of change into kind of where it has become now as far as the precision that goes into it? Uh, yeah. I mean, there's there's been a transformation. I will say, though, if you go back and you look at literature um, from the 1930s that came out of the California Wine Institute, mm-hmm. they talked about wine and food pairings. Hmm. And then I think somewhere in the 70s with uh, the American Institute of Wine and Food and Copia and Robert Mondavi kept kind of pushing this whole idea of, you know, Wine and food pairings. And I am mm-hmm. and I think all of us who've been in the industry are kind of shaking our heads going, yeah, but that's, that's what, we, what we always have done. <laughs> yeah. And and so um, for me personally here in the Livermore Valley, um, when we opened our restaurant, the vision I had for it was to uh, use as much locally grown, to mm-hmm. your point, um, uh, produce and or sourcing that we could. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes, of course, feature um, Livermore Valley wines, not just Winty, but mm-hmm. Livermore Valley wines by the glass. And that was kind of my mission. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, we have a cattle ranch, a cow-calf operation. So we used our own mm-hmm. estate-grown grass-fed beef, which back in 1986 was kind of new, yeah, avant-garde. Right. Um we had olive trees on our property that were planted back in the 1890s by Louis Mel, and we've expanded those um, plantings to include some Italian varieties now, but his were predominantly French. And I learned this from Daryl Cordy, who's an expert on olive oil, has a, you know, Cordy Brothers in, Sa- in Sacramento, really oh, great. Cool, yeah. yeah great That's gourmet. one of my wife's accounts. Yeah, so yeah. he came down, um, spent the day with me and looked at these olive trees and uh, must have been the mid 1980s, and and he goes, oh my God, you have the only planting of Luke um, olive trees in California, and so you should. Uh, and he goes, and uh, that looks like a manzanilla, and you know mm-hmm. this is a uh, that's just a mission, you know. <laughs> and <laughs> that's so, just a mission. And so at Two any weeks rate, later, those are ripped out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we I, I started doing our uh, certified organic extra virgin olive oil and. And we picked the the uh, grapes, the grapes, listen to me, the olives, and Shabika and Sons helped us. They were in Modesto. They did the pressing and bottling at that point. So state-grown beef, state-grown olive oil, 
um, started our own vegetable um, herb garden um, for the restaurant. And so that, to me, was the basis. And then, again, creating these relationships with other growers uh, close to us over in Brentwood and then um, suppliers, you know, for fish and and, and other um, proteins. But uh, it was really fun, and it was really, you know, fork or what do I say, farm to fork early on. And and it, you know, our restaurant opened just about the same time as Chez Panisse. And and they were doing that very similar thing. So Mm -hmm. anyway, it's kind of exciting times. And I think that the wine and food industry has continued to progress. But when we first opened the restaurant, it was Nouvelle Cuisine time. I don't know if you guys remember that, but very kind of precise, um, uh, beautiful presentations, mm-hmm. but very small portions. Well, that didn't work so well here. Everybody wanted yeah, a bountiful plate, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so we kind of had to adjust to that. And I think it it tended a, or we approached it as being uh, maybe more rustic food. Mm-hmm. More, uh, it's about the the quality of the ingredients um, that drive the actual. Um, exquisiteness of the the meal. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then that's very easy to match with wine, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's, I think, the the balance of that um, ingredient speak. And and I think our wines are that same way. We're about that sense of place. We want it to taste varietally true. Mm -hmm. We want it to be balanced. And Carl's favorite word, yummy, you know? (laughs) So anyway. Is it Um, yummy? But I, I do think the pendulum swung way too far over here with all of this. You can, you know, you have to match this with that, and mm. this is the perfect pairing. And, yeah, you know, I remember actually a fun story. My mom and I went to Chateau Ikem mm-hmm. um, and uh, had a dry sauterne, which they produced, mm. and sat down for lunch um, and had one of their sweeter sauternes with a beautiful sautéed foie gras breast. Yeah. I'm breast, listen to me. <laughs> Liver. Yep. Um, and um, I talk about one of those memorable pairings. Mm-hmm. That, to me, was sort of the pinnacle. Yeah. But, but I think so many... Um, there's no right answer yeah. to yeah. wine and food pairing. And, and and to make a big deal out of it, we each have our own personal choices of what we love or, or don't love or how your body reacts to something or not. So I think it's really up to the individual. And, and so I find myself now, when I have people over, putting several different selections on mm-hmm. the table and allowing them to and not being prescriptive about it. Mm-hmm. Sure. So. And that, yeah, and I, I agree I, with that. I couldn't uh, agree more. Like yeah. with one of my, you know, like my one of my deathbed meal or one of, one of my deathbed courses outside of the Wiener Schnitzel is just <laughs> like a charcuterie board for that exact same reason, with just a variation of cheeses, so that I can pick my bites right. from the pickled to the jam to the pork to the, you know, because that's exactly the fun in drinking wine. They all do different things, and with every bite, you learn a little bit more about what the wine, you know, what the wine is capable of. Right. Um, so that is a uh, heck yeah. Oh man. Let's, let's drink some wine. Come on. We're, we're 30 minutes in. Can we do this? We have a little bit of white. Shall we start with white? Yeah. We got a, I just wanted to get that kind of open. Open? Well, let's do we it. So take a little Chardonnay? Yeah. Sure. So, she, uh, so Carolyn, Carolyn brought us the uh, Riva Ranch today. Um, and if you go back into uh, a few of her interviews in the past, she is transparent in her, in her love for the morning fog. Um, Phil, Phil is the uh, Riva Ranch. Phil is the Riva Ranch, and Eric is the... Eric, that makes sense, right? So, uh, but and we Carl's the nth. 
And so there, so there we see, and everyone, everyone's got their shard. That was one of the things that you said, and that's we, we all have our shard. That's for sure. All right, listeners, I know you've been waiting for it. Can we get a uh, just a nice hearty cheers there? Here we go. Appreciate you being here. Thank you. And let's cheers. go ahead and take a sip. So while we're well, let's take our sip and we'll let you kind of. What Eric's like on the best vintages? That's that's my favorite. I'm just like the just lean, crisp, yeah. style, crisp, clean. Uh, yeah, and that's exactly why my brother Eric loves it too. It's really just it, it talked about since the place. It really just speaks to the Livermore Valley, right. um, the minerality that we get here in in the soils, and so it's that great expression of the fruit here grown in the soils and and what people usually I think well how do I phrase this I think people believe the Livermore Valley's hot, but. I- have this um, conversation it, all the time. Yeah, but it's not, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think that's the other great attribute we have is that we have a wonderful cooling system. So that also helps with the acidity levels in the Eric that makes it just such a beautiful wine. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's what works also for us um, with the uh, Riva Ranch in Monterey County. It's in the Arroyo Seco Appalachian. And when my dad first went down there in 1961, um, there weren't any vineyards planted there. It was um, walnuts and lettuce. Yeah. yeah. You know, beautiful, rich soils, very different than the soils we have here in the Livermore Valley that are more rocky, alluvial, Mm. and and a little bit more sandy loam, richer, although our vineyards are along um, the Arroyo Seco River. So you do get a lot of. gravel there as well. Those greenfield potatoes. Yeah, you got it. And so I think when uh, the Winty clones planted down in Arroyo Seco, you have that slightly longer growing season because it is cooler than um, Livermore generally. We end up picking uh, several weeks later on Chardonnay than we do here in the Livermore Valley. But you get um, great acidity levels, tropical fruit notes. Um, I think the winemaking style here is because the, there's so much um, wonderful, brilliant fruit, you can really do more barrel fermentation and sure. um, have a little bit more weight from that barrel fermentation and stirring, um, surly, et cetera. But um, Again, the wonderful note in this, I think, is that uh, acidity in the finish that just get, keeps it mouth watering, and you want to come back for the next sip. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Right. Not uh, there's nothing worse than just that big old fatty where you're, you know, one glass and you're done because you just can't take it anymore. So yeah. and when you and when you go back to the previous conversation with food and wine pairing, be it you know a, a red that's just got too much or a white that's got too much, right? Like leave room for a. As they used to say in, uh, in in my junior high school dances, leave room for Jesus. Um, but, but moving on. For the Holy Spirit. <laughs> for the Holy Spirit. And where did you go to school? I know. You went to public school, you liar. <laughs> hey, he was still there, all right. Um, no, but we're having fun. Heck yeah. So we got a few wines in front of us today. We got our Riva Ranch. Um, she also that brought so the, nice. uh, the, Charles, the Charles Wentmore Vineyard. Um, this is 100% Cabernet here on this one? No. Um, pretty darn close, I believe, though. Okay. Um, Enough to call it on the label, right? So, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. 2017. And then maybe we'll get into a little bit of that Pinot over there, too. But when you're not drinking yeah. Wenties, Wenty wines, um, what, are, what, what are you drinking? I think I figure that's easier than what's your favorite wine, because that's a tough question. Yeah. So I'm drinking whatever the glass of my hand is at the time <laughs> that somebody poured it, right? Um, yeah, I hear you there. Uh, it, it's 
I'll flip it around because when you invite people over for dinner, oh, what can I bring? And I'll go, wine. Because and they'll go no no I couldn't ever bring wine to your house because I'd be you have like a warehouse full of it yeah. <laughs> yeah. and I and I'm just the opposite because it's like well no I want to know what you love and try and do so so truly um, I like to drink a lot of different things and um, uh, really um, enjoy the variety that is produced around the world I'm mm-hmm. super excited we are doing business now with an Argentinian. Um, uh, company or family, um, Bodega Cuarto Dominio, and they do Malbec. Yeah. Uh, and we have represent four different Malbecs. And it's just fabulous to have. We don't do a single varietal Malbec. Well, I guess Muriette as well may do one at the tasting rooms, but uh, for club members. But uh, just really nice addition to the portfolio to have that. Um, um, variety that they do and the style that they do. So I, I love wine. I love to try different wines. Awesome. You kind of a seasonal, like when it's hot, yeah. the rosé comes out, Sauvignon Blanc comes out, or no, I'm um, all year yeah. round. Try different things. I mean, think of uh, Nikki's rosé for Thanksgiving dinner. It's work. not a summer wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I agree. So. It could, yeah, it could work. I mean, yeah, I drink, I drink rosé till it's gone, and we're getting low. Yeah. We're getting low. Thank if you're listening and you're fans, we got less than uh, seven cases, so get it before mm-hmm. I, before yeah. I get to it. Better get some before I leave. Right, right. <laughs> it's a uh, but just nice environment. So, in the realm of variety, um, let's hone it in um, because what we have all learned and what, what you know more better than better than you know better than anyone. This 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 region is so unique in its landscape, um, in its agriculture, what it can do. We have places we haven't even touched yet. You know, we're talking you know Sonol Highlands up there that could be its own be its own thing. We have a lot of room to grow an array of varieties. Portfolios like yours have proven that. What I'm getting to is you know what we're known for. I you know I've heard different people as someone who's traveled the industry myself um, as as a re- particularly a restaurant buyer. The question I'm getting to is if 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 you had to boil it down to a couple, um, maybe for your own portfolio or what, what what potentially could represent a region in its current identity. What would Livermore represent? So I think the Livermore Valley spans uh, Appalachian mm-hmm. <clears throat> spans quite a large number of different microclimates or I guess even meso regions, if you will. Um, and that's that's the unique thing about it, that you can have a, a cooler, colder um, uh, side over Palomares Canyon um, uh, all the way to the very what uh, east end of the valley, uh, which is slightly warmer, and you can get more reds towards that area, perhaps. But um, and then as you go up the slopes and the wind patterns, and and so I think that's what my brother Phil, through his years, was really trying to do. My dad grew Pinot Noir here in the valley uh, very successfully until we planted down in Monterey County and decided to then. Um, Changed those Pinot Noir vineyards from here in Livermore, and, and I can't even—I can't even tell you what he um, pulled them out and planted them too. But um, I remember some of those Pinot Noirs just being out of this world. Um, and not that I don't love our, our Arroyo Seco ones, yeah, but um, so 
I think the the Livermore Valley as a um, region has been talking about, you know, what is our identity? Do you want to really be monolithic? Do you want to just be a Cabernet like Napa? Mm -hmm. I think it's gotten... um, I I I like the diversity of wines that mm-hmm. we can grow here, but I do um, will say I think the Bordeaux, like a Sauvignon Blanc, a Merlot, a Cabernet, mm-hmm. uh, and definitely um, non-Bordeaux Chardonnay, mm-hmm. um, does exceptionally well here. Mm-hmm. I taste our Cunois. I taste our Tempranillo. I, I think those are great wines, too. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess I'm dancing around. Do mm-hmm. I want to just be known as one or two varieties? Not really. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the beauty of the Livermore Valley. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't agree more with, with, with that sentiment. Um, and as far as getting to, you know, particularly, you know, the, the Bordeaux set and, and Chardonnay, which is, you know, which I think most people would recognize this region with if if they had to pick one. Um, you know, I, but, I, you know, I'm kind of, I guess the market kind of demands, uh, whether we like it or not, for places to have an identity. How do we, how, how do we communally kind of continue to push forward? Because I guess what I'm getting, like, you know, the smaller producers um, who don't have quite the footprint, um, who might, um, you know, be able to lean in on a house like your own, kind of some kind of unified vision in that it would it would benefit a very large audience like i said the question might not come out right the first time but maybe we can get there in it because like i said backtracking i couldn't agree more with that but the market demands an identity yeah, from what i've gathered i think you're getting that like if, if it's not a variety what is or style more valley dna um and kind of identity out there I think that's. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, yeah. Right. We're getting to the question because, like I said, I couldn't agree more with that. But to 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 that, what might you say? So when I was president of the Wine Growers Association, um, ten times over twenty years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, we one of our executive directors um, wanted us to hang our hat on something, and uh, we asked ourselves this question way back when. This was gosh, probably more than 20 years ago, uh, 25 years ago, perhaps. Um, And um, he was really pushing for Sauvignon Blanc Mm -hmm. um, as, you know, the sort of the cradle of where Sauvignon Blanc had um, been started, established. um, uh, And there were quite a few... um, Growers, so we're talking kind of early '80s, right? Mm-hmm. So there, um, a lot of uh, new vineyards had been planted to Merlot, mm-hmm. and there were a, a lot of champions of Merlot. I forget what um, we called the Merlot Society or something. Rhonda Wood was kind of mm-hmm. behind it and, and uh, enthusiastic about it. My brother Phil was involved, um, and and they wanted Merlot to be the identity. Um, so I think um, both of those. Our, our, all of the wineries here do some beautiful wines from those varieties. Mm-hmm. I think it's about the winery. I mean, mm-hmm. you talk to Darcy Kenton, um, maybe it should be— Green uh, Belt Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, is it really the region that needs to have it uh, a particular mm-hmm. identity, or is it— a collection of producers that make 
outstanding quality wines that are recognized. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you were to go to Sonoma or Mendocino or Lodi, mm-hmm. I mean, do you say Lodi Zinfandel? Is that their identity? I don't know. I'm asking the question. Yeah. Sonoma? Is Sonoma Pinot? Or do they not make some of the better Cabernets over Napa? Mm-hmm. In my mind. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. Sonoma's huge, though, right? So if you kind of start, you know, getting down to, you know, mm-hmm. Carneros and then, you know, maybe Petaluma Gap or some of these cooler climates. And then, yeah, you have Alexander Valley and some of the warmer stuff, too. So and, big, right. big footprint. And then you've got the Sonoma Coast, yeah. which yeah. is that cold. Completely. Yeah. yeah. You talk about Fort Ross and whatnot. And that's all I'm talking about, Livermore. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it, it spans and you have some different um, climates and soils within the valley that can actually, you know, and what about some of these new grape varieties that have been developed? Should we not be looking at those that um, don't need as much water? They're heat resistant. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm not sure I can answer that question. Sure, it's a question, <laughs> and it's and, and and it's a question we ask everyone that comes on here, particularly in in the field um, or or any wine lover, because you know, like I said, it, it's a question that we're being asked as as winemakers, as psalms, as buyers, etc. Um, right. So, if we can get there, we get there. If not. If not, like we can be it's similar to Sonoma, um, that is a absolutely <laughs> huge region. Um, Livermore is that as well. And while we may not stretch as far as we can within our own region, like a Sonoma might, um, that's I, I can I can see where you know a Sonoma comes into play with with us more than like being you know recognizing us next to uh, Napa and what they do because Napa is so uniquely cab. Um, Sonoma is, you know, depending on where you are from, like you said, from cabs of the, you know, the inlands to the Sonoma Coast Pinos to Zinfandel up top. It can do a lot of things. Um. So I had lunch the other day with Janet Trefethen and nice. they, um, you know, farm a lot of grapes, sell grapes to other growers and um, produce for themselves. Mm-hmm. Damned if she's going to give up Riesling mm. um, in her vineyards in the center of the Napa Valley. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, there's mm-hmm. there's still yeah, like Spring Mountain does the Riesling up there, and there's oh, always yeah, the, these yeah. outliers. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, heck yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I guess for me, um, I think uh, this valley can do great Chardonnay, mm-hmm. awesome Cabernet, mm-hmm. beautiful Merlots. Mm-hmm. Um, and why not hang your hat? Is it because we're afraid um, that we don't compete with a Sonoma or a Napa or a Paso Cab? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it, does it have to be something completely unique like Gruner? Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think so. Uh, I think you're not fishing where the fish are either, but it's mm-hmm. it's about style in those wines and when we taste our Cabernet or your Pinot here, um, I'll take, I'll where, take where are, you know, I'm not sure where the Pinot's grown. Oh, it's uh, the Sonoma Coast. Okay. So, um, so uh, but I think when you taste our Cab, there are certain characteristics about it that are super appealing to a lot of people, mm-hmm. that it's not a big, green, massive, chewy tannic mm-hmm. on, you know, on the sides of your mouth. Napa Cab. Mm-hmm. Um, Livermore Valley produces a slightly different style. Yes, there's tannin there, but you get riper tannins, more supple, more integrated. And yeah. it, it's, to me, beautiful, elegant wines. Mm-hmm. And oh. outside of variety, to the to the Napa Cab point, they've definitely added a, a very uh, bold style to the cab because their cabs 
taste different than than others yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and it's one of the uh, things that kind of <laughs> yeah. allure. You I know. mean, you've got up there. You know, certainly we have a diverse growing region, but Napa again, like you've got you know Carneros all the way to Calistoga with ele- like major elevation changes right. and those kind of things, but. Yeah, I, I agree with you. On the hillsides here in Livermore Valley, Sockal Vineyard, that place yeah. can grow Epic the best Bordeaux variety Epic reds fruit. that yeah, put them up against anything, quite mm-hmm. honestly. So, mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's keep pushing along. So kind of next is— That might dump bucket over there. It can be, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, oh absolutely. like you guys, I have a big day ahead. I know, right? Yeah. So <laughs> I will, uh, I will jump into the Pinots with you, though, let's yeah. say, and then right, we can kind of— You can kinda... use mine. That's all right. I got it. In case I'm you wanted more coffee. I no, I think I'm done with coffee. I'm pretty. It's overrated. We're whining. <laughs> we're whining. So we're jumping into our uh, our second bottle of the day. Um, we didn't finish the first. We so, didn't finish. Yeah. Well, Carolyn, it was a split. It was a that split. Was so we that's yeah. I know we got to start bringing a couple of those. That makes it easier. Uh, but while we're pouring up, um, this is a Tapisti, uh, Tapisti Gap's crown here. Oh. Um, but moving. Uh, well, actually, do you want to? You want to you want to spend a moment on that real quick before yeah. we go to the next? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, Thank you, sir. Pinot's kind of new for for me. Uh, just started doing a little bit outside of here. Like you said, not much Pinot in Livermore. If you're even interested in in buying some, I think uh, uh, Triska has some now. But is that that might be it. I don't know. Um, or no, I think there's some over on Kaltoff as well. But that's well spoken for. Um, so Craig and I, Craig Ploof and I, started this brand. A few years ago when he was still at Stephen Kent, uh, we didn't want to do anything that was going to compete with Nottingham or Stephen. So Pinot kind of fit the mold. Uh, La Rochelle exited Livermore. We saw maybe there was a potential to, you know, grab some Pinot from different different climates. And this uh, is Gap's Crown. It's a awesome farming. I don't know if you've ever, ever been up there at all. It's uh, Petaluma Gap. Um, just, just. They call it the uh, they call it the country club. Like it's it's you've never seen more pristine rows and the yeah that's it's pretty pretty beautiful place. You know, just rolling hills. It honestly looks a lot like Livermore Valley when you're up there, and you're going you know, to compare it to Sockow. A um, little cooler, obviously different growing circumstances, but. A beautiful place, nonetheless. And that's Robert Rhodes, Petaluma Gap, all the, all those above. Actually, if, if uh, there's a particular vantage point over at uh, Gunlock Bunshu, if you're uh, looking out towards the coast, and you can just see how that Petaluma Gap exactly kind of just exists, and how it just funnels into the into that gap. Um, and you know, as far as our AVA, we have a couple of those unique. Um, sure. I've been walking Holdener Park in the morning. I, I love actually, that. Park. I just love that park. And on the best mornings, you can smell the salt from the sea, um, which mm-hmm. I think is just like that, that's one of my favorite walks it's because like of that. Set in right there, kind of looking, I guess, south towards the restaurant, like right. on, on the mm-hmm. one trail there, um, mm-hmm. as you're going up the main hill from Arroyo. Yeah, yeah, headed up um, towards the yeah, and then the, you can the, drop down on the Marina Ranch and. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. Yeah, so we, we we got it here. We got it here. So this is, yeah, let's keep, we got we got more wine in the glass, but we're going to keep moving. So we kind of were talking regional identity, um, and then 2020 happened, and we're going to kind of talk regional restart. So I guess, you know, the point that we'll get to is like kind of what is that, what might that look like? But um, never before, no matter what wine region you are, no matter what winery you are, um, has the the playing field been so, you know, so level. Everyone is pushing to digital and, you know, I don't care what Napa winery you are in Napa. There's plenty of very successful Napa wineries who had quite, you know, terrible websites and no social presence and, you know, and other wineries did. So the point is like, so how, what, what, what do you think a regional restart might look like for, for all, I guess, um, region as in like California? Um, 
and, and where the market might be shifting to once we kind of find what a new normal might look like for, for us wine folks um, in this game? Well, I think if you're asking me, you can jump in too. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Hey, it's a conversation. We're all... I'll start with you. I'll let you start. Yeah. You're the guest. <laughs> um, I think that uh, some of it has to do with your footprint, right, and your your scope and size of distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, and and as we were talking about earlier, thirty um, percent of our business here in the U.S. is done in restaurants, okay. um, and therefore seventy percent in off sale. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think I don't see the off premise um, market necessarily taking a big dump or decline. I do see the continual growth in um, online mm-hmm. ordering, mm-hmm. and whether it's directly from a retailer or from a winery, I think that'll be a very strong um, piece that remains as we come out. At least this is my belief. As we come out of uh, the pandemic. I'm very concerned about how restaurants rebound, um, and I'm very concerned about hotels and airlines. And um, the way many businesses and business professionals have gone to work is getting on an airplane and and going, uh, Mm -hmm. are we going to have large conventions anymore? When do those start up? So all of that, I think it's – New normal is the term that's thrown around. I don't think we'll go back to where we are. We've been a year doing something new and different and that that's going to become habit forming. Mm -hmm. And so um, the new new is going to be very different and I don't believe we ever go back to the old. Yeah, Um, And so coming out of this based on size, I mean, if you are pretty much direct to consumer – um, you're going to continue doing that footprint, and will it get um, cannibalized by others who, let's say, larger wineries who had to maybe get some online presence and start doing more e-com? And um, I think that the smaller wineries have that unique position of discovery, and that's what people are looking for, and will want to remain connected to that. And my latest find, you know. Sure. Um, a, a winery like Winty, yes, we have a wonderful wine club. Mm-hmm. Most of them, um, I'd say, eighty percent of our wine clubs in in California. Mm-hmm. So, um, because we're a national brand, uh, I think most people look for us in retail and and not online through a wine club. Sure. So, uh, two different models, and yeah. how you come out of it, I think, is going to be um, uh, partly. Yeah. Based yeah. on that, we uh, we before all this made some decisions about pulling out of retailers and focusing on restaurants. So we <laughs> good move. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was, was at job. the time, um, or at least it seemed like it was going to be. Um, and obviously, you know, still wholesales. You know, thirty percent of our sales, everything, most of the rest is direct to consumer, mm-hmm. which is great. Um, and I'm grateful for that piece for us. Um, just like you're grateful for your footprint of, of retail, retail because you need it, mm-hmm. um, especially as, as you know, the restaurant stuff goes away. Um, it's certainly not a good time for really high-end houses that are uh, all 
steakhouses and restaurant list only and that kind of thing. And there's plenty of brands mm -hmm. in that category. Um, it's amazing some of the things that are coming out and the, some of the things we're seeing at Costco when you do your shopping now. Um, Trader, I'm, Trader I'm a Joe's. sucker for some of these deals. Yeah, and then you know, Trader Joe's wine retailers list. are buying bulk. You see in Trader Joe's Rutherford Cabernet, just TJ brand for thirteen bucks or ten bucks. Right. You're like, oh my god, how did that right. happen? Um, I don't see that slowing down. I think there's you know, we have a huge supply. Or, well, actually, 2020 might correct a little bit of that, but uh, yeah, actually, well, I a think lot. there are a lot of um, um, people who did not come in to buy wine. Uh, I should say larger wineries that did not come into the market in 2019 to buy wine because of the large 2018 harvest. Mm -hmm. Then 2020 hit, and they didn't still didn't buy wine. Um, so 2021. Um, somebody's going to have to come back in and buy and or go back and look at the 2020 vintage. And, you know, I think there's going to be a balancing out here. Yeah. And I also think um, in the grape and bulk market that prices are probably going to go up. Mm -hmm. But back to the the retail or I'm sorry, the um, restaurant side uh, of the recovery, sadly, I think the independents are, are the hardest hit and oh, yeah. whether they – uh, how they come back, um, when they come back, is going to be uh, quite a while, I, sure. I think. And so the winners in this may be some of these larger um, restaurant chains um, that have the wherewithal to survive. And so Change we're going to be, yeah, yeah more can negotiate of a, with DoorDash to get a better, you know, take because, you know, some they – they're hard on the small guys, and yeah. it kind of makes it tough. Well, to with do, that but. said, you know, shout out to the Tri Valley Restaurant Group that started at the beginning of this. Um, they've been going strong. They're 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 nearly a hundred restaurants deep between Danville, San Ramon, Pleasanton, Livermore, etc. Really, um, and wow. they've been making noise. Uh, you know, they've been making a lot of noise. They're one of the reasons why we were, you know, us us here in this valley in these towns were able to kind of push forward a little faster than, than like some of the you know using Main Street and using, using First exactly Street and those you know kind yeah of and blocking that kind of stuff off. So. Yeah. Um, they're fighting. <laughs> They're fighting. They got to. Um, but there's only so much you could do. Yeah, there's yeah. only. And here we go again into this uh, to the, to this new tier. So, and correct me if I'm wrong. I'm, I believe I'm on the right track. But so as far as this new purple tier, right? So, um, you have to be on a decline as far as your Advanced, case number number yeah. of cases for 14 days straight <clears throat> to apply as a county for. For you know, being lowered into another tier that might let twenty five percent, fifty percent, seventy five percent, et cetera. Um, but you know, before you can get there, there's a twenty one day grace period where those numbers need to remain steady. Um, so we're talking, you know, a month and a, a month and a half before counties, after applying, you know, might have the opportunity to reopen. And I mean, just to the point that we made, like this: how do how the hell do people survive this one? How do they survive? What does Livermore's downtown look like? And October of next year. I after all this work we've been cuz you know prior to this we had some momentum man we were we were get something you know measure P was kicking ass and the Isabel plan just got adopted like we're headed in the right direction but how do we, you know like those things are still happening but how, well, what does it look like someone tell me the answers give me it's, the answers I think it's unknown here <laughs> as it is everywhere at yeah. this point with with what the timeline is for reopening and yeah. what reopening looks like and capacity and all those kind of things. Um, yeah. And that's tough to plan for. Mm -hmm. That is certainly, especially if you're a restaurant, you know, a winery, 
you know this, like you could, we could get a good PO today and that could really help us for the next 30 days from a cash standpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, Restaurants are churning. You need the daily cash flow every every day. day. Need it coming in. Every time you don't have that seat filled. Yeah, six bad weeks in a row. Inventory, right? you yeah, never get it yeah. back. Well, and, you know, and we're all in the game, but restaurants in particular, restaurants are often paying last month's invoice today. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's <laughs> if, just if, that if you're, kind of business. If you're lucky. If you're, yeah, it's, just, be, yeah. it's just that kind of business. Are, so, yep. Um, it's not a, not uh, a cash hoarding hey, business. You know, restaurants that are listening, there's a few people within the city right now that are looking for a commercial kitchen space. Because one thing that, you know, if we're looking at the glass half full, um, I could use a little more wine, JK. Um, <laughs> if you're looking at the glass half full, um, this idea of cottage cooking. Is, is really something that's taking off, which could really change the landscape for people locally, um, you know, for, for better and for worse. Maybe our downtown looks different, but maybe the rest of the city kind of picks up um, from Wing and Bakery to Mushroom Mom and all these people that places that we're talking about. But if you're a restaurateur who is who is who has the ability to maybe consider changing up your concept completely. People are looking for commercial kitchens. There, there is ways to pay the bills right now. Yeah. Um, so like you need multiple concepts for delivery. Out you of the just same might kitchen and like you just know? do away with the dining room and put in more. So unfortunately, they're putting a bank over there where the backyard bayou is. But that that building on the corner there is just it. It was. I mean, it still isn't out. But like, talk about a place. It's a Hofbrau. So it'd be like kind of maybe the perfect place. For Who that knows? Kind of but thing. I don't know what the kitchen looked like. But yeah. <laughs> all right. Damn it. I know. All right. So we're still trying to find the answers. But when this is all said and done, Brandon, I, I kind of had it as hospitality to save the day last week. But now I just kind of like put it as roaring twenties. There's people are still hungry to go out. You know, pun intended. Like so. Once we kind of get there, I do think hospitality is going to see a surge for those who can weather the storm. Um, but pointing, you know, it, it could take some time. What what kind of conversations are, are you having at the family table about what hospitality might look like for you? Because you have a big footprint here as far as facilities are concerned. Is Tesla being opened again? Is it all folks to the back? What might that look like for you? So that's a great question, and we just uh, finished. You asked me what I do every day. Well, (laughs) the last uh, month or more has been um, focused around uh, annual operating plan for 2021 and what sort of assumptions do you make about um, how soon things will reopen, how fast will we be able to get back to 100% capacities. Mm -hmm. And I think the National Restaurant Association – um, says generally rule of thumb that unless you have 85% capacity um, in your restaurant footprint, you're probably not breaking even. So 85% or more is probably the right, um, you know, sustainable bond. place. Exactly. Yeah. And so when we're talking in pandemic times of only being outside, during the winter, thank you, that'll be fun, at 25% capacity, which is what this new... um, Yeah, um, came out Tuesday. Yeah, Yeah. outside. Yeah, I know. Um, That's part of it, 20%, 25% outside is part of that too? And nothing inside. Yeah, still nothing indoors. Oh, and so, for whatever reason, we as wineries are not even recognized in any updates going on. And we're still in this like not a restaurant, not a bar. Yeah, you know, we're not anything. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so so um, that I guess that's my concern about um, this is we make projections for next year. Um, we said, oh, OK, we do believe a vaccine's going to become available to people. So. Do we say for 
the first six months of the year, it's pretty much zero. At, yeah, <laughs> zero to 25. Yeah. And then do you say it's 50 percent or better um, starting uh, at the end of the second quarter mm-hmm. and potentially it everybody has had a vaccine, those who want to take it. Um, so you may be back to fuller capacities by the end of the year. Um, so then when you run those numbers, that's pretty ugly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so um, what are we doing with our footprint? Well, we're running numbers that way. Mm-hmm. And so it's uh, by reservation only. We're going to have to you know, continue to limit how we look at wine tastings and how many people on property. Um, we are going to continue doing outside um, uh, weddings, but we are not um, catering anymore. We will have some preferred caterers that will um, uh, supply the wedding, yeah. if you will, or, or put on the event. Um, and and our thinking behind that, again, is um, how many people can you have at a wedding? Yeah. Is it Less than 10. Right now? Only is it you and Gavin Newsom. Yeah, Gavinator. at the French Laundry. So, yeah. so there's health lobbyists. Yeah. <laughs> so there's so many, you know, what ifs, what ifs, what ifs. Uh, and I think that's your question. Yeah. What's, <laughs> what's it look like? It's, and so we've spent a lot of time modeling things, but um, I think hospitality in 2021's um, pretty hard hit. And we are about uh, protecting production. And first, so Tesla will not open until um, the pandemic is lifted and everybody's feeling safe and good because we don't want to interrupt our flow of production. Yeah, which is, makes um, sense. Which happens at that so. Yeah. Okay. So Crazy. all sorts of good news. Yeah. Let's, let's do something upbeat. I, I know, right? So <laughs> let's go ahead and change. Yeah. You had to ask about analyzing Let's go to the roaring finance. 20s. The roaring How 20s. about a speakeasy so, at your hey, place? Hey, we, yeah, we, got, we, we are getting into the 20s. I didn't even well, – I never put that together, <laughs> huh. that we are actually entering the 20s. And so this roaring 20s is just – Isn't that great? Hashtag later. roaring 20s dips, dips, yeah. no dips. Wasn't uh, Spanish nope. flu? It was like, what, 1913? Is that right? So does that – well, we got seven more years. No, don't <laughs> say that. Ew. No. No. All right. Positive. Positivity. Yeah. Positivity. Positivity. Gosh. This oh, wine is okay. delicious. The Chardonnay. Oh, Gosh. No, yeah. No, no, but this Pinot, I'm hopefully you can sell me a case on my way out. I, this we is can, awesome. We can absolutely awesome. do that. All right. Love it. Thank you. Love so, it. And they Appreciate do a re- Even though it's not Livermore Valley. <laughs> 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 At least it was produced Gosh. here, right? Oh, if it, it was grown here, I might need it. Just got to find it. I think, yeah, Darcy and David locked up all the Trisca Pinot. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we are without Livermore Pinot for a while. And they do a Riesling as well. I know I remember you saying you're a fan of aromatic whites. So that is one that is absolutely gorgeous as well, coming from the Tantra grape field. But we shall continue. So um, I don't want to wait too long. Let's just get to it. Um, you are a not only just a human being in this industry, but you are a woman in this industry um, who has done some tremendous things for everyone, male, female, just anyone who looks up to leaders and, and likes to see you. Know, you You've done some things, man, it's, and it's great to see. Um, but you know, speaking towards this younger generation, which is heavily women, at least as far as in the family is concerned, um, what kind of? I mean, actually, let's start with this, what, what kind of leader do you hope to be for for them? And then we'll kind of get a little more macro. Is you know, what kind of leader do you hope to be for for more women in the industry? And what kind of things you know are you implementing to maybe keep pulling people up the up the ladder? So, for my nieces. 
um, that are in the business. I uh, hope that I am there in support for them um, and always a good sounding board. But I think they are so smart and um, passionate, you know, it's maybe an overused term uh, about what people like to do or not. They are um, highly um, geared up and loving what they're doing, and it's so fun to see. So best thing I can do is just step out of the way and let them go, <laughs> let them rock it. That's awesome. Um and and I think, you know, through the years, um, I probably haven't been as big of influence, quite frankly, in their lives because I've been working hard and and gone 70% of my time promoting wine. Prior to COVID, yeah. I, you're, you're, you're the one that moves around probably the most? Yeah. Okay. And so, um, but I think that um, certainly you know, have known them through the years growing up and, and been Aunt Carolyn, who's the one who cooks and mm -hmm. loved to go to her dinner, her her uh, house for Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas, you know, and, and very helpful in the kitchen and, yeah. you know, collaborative and stuff. But I think um, generally, <laughs> I digressed into my love of cooking, right? Again. Hey, <laughs> I'm right with you. <laughs> but uh, generally, I would <laughs> say for women in leadership, um, I was extremely fortunate to um, have started out uh, working, uh, I said, as a financial analyst, but having um, a champion for me, a mentor, mm -hmm. actually that was male, mm -hmm. um, and he just, uh, I think, opened a lot of doors. But the, the key thing, and it's what my parents said to me and my, my grandparents growing up, is be confident, love what you do. Mm -hmm. And if you have those two things, um, then you're going to excel in whatever place you're in, mm -hmm. whatever job you're in. Don't be afraid. If you're not happy where you are, don't be afraid to go seek that passionate thing that you want to do. Whoever and I think that's what my nieces have done. Uh, and you can tell uh, that they, they're going to make things change because they love what they do. And, and <clears throat> excuse me, it's, it's just they're confident about it. Mm, cool. And there are so many people, um, and I would say women, that um, maybe sadly lack some confidence mm -hmm. or um, don't feel self-assured, uh, and and I, I, that's what I encourage mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. uh, to do. Heck yeah! Awesome. And to dig a layer, you know, to dig a layer deeper. Um, twenty twenty has been showing a lot of the ugly here. You know, here here in the just here <clears throat> here. Um, you know, looking at the bigger picture, what you know has anything in particular been on your heart? Uh, that you know whether you carry it or not, just something that you that you that's been on your mind throughout this year that you that has shown you. Maybe what's what's a lesson that you're learning um, in this year about leadership, about what we're seeing. You know, just the whole that that conversation. So I think uh, how resilient and adaptable um, and caring people are. Mm -hmm. uh, think of how many things that have been thrown at everybody this year, mm -hmm. and. Um, some less fortunate, some more fortunate, but on both sides, I think there's reaching out and caring. And um, in spite of some of the politics and leadership uh, in in the world that 
um, may not um, model that yeah. kind of behavior. Uh, I, in my heart of hearts, um, I think humankind is kind and wants to do the right thing and, and that we're all in this together. And it's mm -hmm. really great to see that um, that coming forward. Mm -hmm. And we talked about this with Brandon, Brandon Cardwell, who I'm sure you're familiar with in the city um, last week. But, you know, with all that, I mean, Colin said it better than I do, but you got to imagine everyone wakes up. Finish this for me. Everyone wakes up and yeah, at, at the core, no matter who you are, what you do daily, like you want your family to be safe, have, you know, live safely, eat well, be happy, seek joy, have mm -hmm. the ability to keep the lights on and not stress about things. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, stress is inevitable, but it's positive stress, right? Versus, you know, having your basic needs addressed. Um, and there are, you know, loud voices on both sides that say they want it, that their only way to get it is this way. And the only way to get it is this way. And realistically, it's navigating everybody and how we get there. And um, yeah, and I, I said this yesterday too, like in spite of everything going on to the, to your same point, people in general are good people. And if you can maybe just get some conversation started with this side and this side that are not so, you know, vitriol, um, not, you know, not so much angst in, um, that I'm, I'm optimistic that we will, we're, we're better off down the road here, yeah. maybe addressing some issues and it's always loud. It's always loud, but you know, sometimes that's how things are brought to the table and then eventually some things are figured out. We realize yeah. we're a lot more alike than we are different. So, yeah. Breathe the same air, bleed the same blood. I think drink, so. Drink, drink, drink the same wine. And yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. There are some, yeah, there's some terrible human beings out there. <laughs> no out question there. about that. But I think good people, you know, to your 90% white wine and 10% red wine, maybe we're 10% bad people. And but that's that leaves a vast majority of people are good people. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So continue to be patient with each other. That's, that's, that's the moral of that one there. So um, let's continue to talk happy. Yeah. <laughs> what is the, uh, just on the same thing, like on the wine side here, um, oh gosh, I know, and, and COVID does change things. Maybe, you know, does, 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 does this year change maybe what's being planted or what is being ripped out and timing of those things? I'm sure there's certainly an effect. But like, what is, what is, uh, what does the Livermore Valley look like in 10 years? Assuming at some point along the way, we, we not get back to normal, normal, but, uh, we start opening some things and start getting some people back in the valley. Um, what does this What does this place look like? Well, you started off with vineyard planting. Sure. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I have ADD really bad. So in my head, that was one thought. So, but so it's I'm, not. I'm, yeah. I'm starting Thank at the you. vineyard planting. I should have just yeah, made some bullet be, points. Aunt, Thank you for it. remembering my initial. Yeah, where I was going. Let's I go just wanted to make Let's sure. I just wanted to make sure I heard that right. Yeah, no, I'm with asking a question here can be tough because like you're saying it into a microphone and hearing it in your brain and something. Just, yeah, so I'm with yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you go all over Idiot. the place. I know. Yeah, so I probably won't. I'll, I'll circle around the question, right? No, and no, answer no. whatever I want to answer. <laughs> you're like, um, yeah, the world is a better place. Yeah, I'm happy to talk food and wine <laughs> prints all day. So, so I I think that um, when you look at the state of the California viticulture, wine growing industry, two years ago with the large harvest. And I think Cog said, you know, for things to get back into balance, we need to pull out throughout the state X number of acres. I can't remember what it was. I want to say 20,000 something. Yeah, nice chunk. Yeah. Um, and that that actually uh, has a, a, 
a large percentage of that over the last two years has been pulled out. Mm-hmm. I think there are fewer Mediterranean climates in the world um, uh, that um, have acreage um, that are available to plant. Uh, and I think the Livermore Valley is one of those. So I am hopeful that the Livermore Valley actually does get um, new vineyards planted, even though current state is trying to get into a balance. I think 10 years from now, which is where you were yeah, sort of prognosticating sure. towards that, there's great upside for the Livermore Valley, mm-hmm. and particularly with new grape varieties coming out because water will always be an issue in California um, throughout. So uh, a a lot of agriculture is going to be dictated by uh, water resource. Sure. So, but I think there's, uh, uh, put a stake in the ground in Livermore, Uh, maybe it is some of these new grape varieties that are coming out of UC Davis that um, are proving to be water, you know, don't need much water, are heat, if we all believe in climate is changing, um, even though there are hundred year, you know, swings that would say that we've been here before. But climate sure. is changing. It's always changing. When you see the the polar caps going where they're going. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Uh, maybe it will be underwater. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so those hillside vineyards Tracy are Hills looking are pretty good. It up there. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, I, I think you get my Gosh, gist. That's, that, that's that, morbid. That we do have great opportunity um, uh, here in the Livermore Valley to um, take a look at where our future goes. Um, And maybe it won't be in some of these classic grape varietals like um, uh, Chardonnay or Cabernet. It could be in something new. Crazy. Can you think about that? You were, you know, first varietal wines as a family to come out and then all these years later, maybe setting the new standard for varieties that are you know yet to be discovered and are being discovered right now and actually being developed what a kind of a cool thing to 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 say another went day first but i think for any company yours included um you know we've been in business for 137 um years and we wouldn't be here today if we didn't constantly change and so one of my mantras is change is good Mm-hmm. And you have to evolve to survive. And so uh, I think the entire industry will need to take a look at how we are um, evolving mm-hmm. and whether it's grape varieties, whether it, it's um, uh, mechanical or mechanization of our viticultural practices, mm-hmm. our winemaking practices, all of these things. So, you know, it's AI in the future. <laughs> What's mm-hmm. it all look like? Crazy. That's, and, uh, that is something that I think is I, I am definitely looking forward to. I have no idea what it might look like, but the idea of technology influencing hospitality as a whole, because as far as I'm concerned, particularly from a restaurant focus where, where I've come from, clubs and whatnot, we have always been behind as, as far as technology. We're still writing people's hours in with pencils like you know I would say wine's the quickest to adapt tech either, what i've seen but. though in in is but like in the agriculture sense like technology is farming it, it, it is there's there, some really cool things that are there's some really available. cool things that are happening yeah, yeah, so, yeah, and I, so i'm very curious to see how technology starts to affect us here particularly in california in the bay area in the tech hub of the world where it's impacted you know so many other industries 
in a positive manner, how we begin to kind of pick it up and, and really just like own it. And, and just from, you know, from restaurants getting point of sale systems that integrate all of your services versus having to log into seven different platforms at the beginning of a day to do things like things that you would, we've always overlooked because as soon as you have a guest, it's about service and you don't get to think about those things anymore. So I'm excited to see hospitality, hopefully catch, catch up catch up, become a little more efficient. Maybe our margins get better with, you know, in time because we're starting to just churn a little better. Um, who the hell knows? I don't know. You we don't know, when, but we're getting there. Wente family has invested quite a bit in wine tech over the last couple of years. Um, and we've kind of all winemakers in town have been the beneficiary of some of this new thought. And uh-huh. uh, um, yeah, tell us, could you talk a little bit about what's going on? You know, we've, I know that I forget the name of the company, I always blank, but they do the aerial overhead, you know, visuals of the vineyards. Oh, that's a cool piece. Are you guys using drones out there too yet, or is any of that going on? Or? Uh, yes, and uh, Nikki Winty uh, has been uh, with Keith Roberts, who's mm-hmm. our— Keith is yeah, the man. Yeah, Keith, <laughs> who um, has been with us for years, Farming Vineyard and Julio. Um, I mean, we have so much— um, expertise just through experience and and knowledge of harvest on harvest and mother nature etc but that along with the innovation that is available and being the kind of mid-sized company that we are i think we are a good testing ground for a lot of companies to partner with and and test these new technologies that are coming in uh, but Beyond that, and and technologies, you know, like putting the uh, cuff on the um, vine to understand the flow and transpiration, I guess, of Mm -hmm. of, um, uh, how much uh, water it's getting and then converting it and uh, distributing it throughout the vine to better grow um, the grapes themselves Mm -hmm. um, and, and trying to find that that um, balance, the right balance in the in in the vine to get you the, sure. the best quality fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but there are so many other just daily manual um, passes that you have to do in the vineyard. And what the team's been really, I think, focused on over the last several years is how you can mechanize those with fewer passes. And so uh, as you were sending your over-the-row pre-pruner in, can you also have um, be pulling the weed, um, what do I say, the brush chopper behind to, as you've pre-pruned, to chop the the brush. Mm. And so that you're not then so going two, through with it. one. Yeah. yeah. Um, can you, uh, I, there's so many things like that, that they have it be lifting wires mm. as it's passing through and or not as, have manual, you know, wire lifting yeah. uh, for if, the canopies. Or as Trump would say, you got to rake the leaves. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Couldn't, <laughs> couldn't get through without a Trump reference. Oh, God. You know, and, and, and so... Um, just a, a lot of incredible um, uh, innovations that they continue to mm-hmm. just get out the welding torch and start making stuff and attaching them to our current equipment mm-hmm. to help um, further, you know, reduce the amount of uh, gas you got to use or diesel um, and compression of soil as you run these uh, equipment through the vineyard so that you. Um, still are having living soils that are you know, all, all all sorts of fun stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think on the winery side, um, you know, it's it, 
there's a lot of wineries who are perhaps way ahead of us on this, but one of my first jobs when I was uh, working uh, at the winery, and this was for Carolyn's better uh, education, so I had a full understanding of what it took to make wine. You know, it was dropping down into one of our large um, red fermenters after it had been drained out and shoveling the pumice out. All right. Uh, you know, and you had the big hose with the oxygen being pumped down. <laughs> so this, as you start getting dizzy, <laughs> you're breathing the, oh, yeah. the oxygen. Don't but the, um, the innovation of how that can just get sucked out now, mm-hmm. you don't have to drop somebody into the tank and yeah. it's, you know— Less dangerous. Less dangerous. But but all of those things, um, which you would have thought you'd get to sooner or faster. I mean, sorting tables and Mm -hmm. how those are today without all the hand stuff. Mm -hmm. And I I don't know. There's just quite a bit different than like the old school, you know, Wente Bros, the guy popping his head out of the barrel, you know, photo, you know, he's digging out the the ferment and you're like, man, CO2, just in there, (laughs) going for it. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever it takes, right? Well, my very first job was we used to get long rolls of foils um, and they were lead foils at the time. We're talking in the late 1960s. Um, a summer job, sitting on the bottling line, I, I got to relieve uh, or take over whatever position of whoever was on vacation. So mm-hmm. I felt like, um, you know, Lucille Ball uh, on the <laughs> the protection line and seeing the bottles go clink, 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 yeah. you know, and wanting to hit the emergency <laughs> switch as I'm trying to get these Foils off and put them on oh, as they're gone. Man. The foiling job on the line, it's it's still it, oh. all these years later, we we bring in a mobile bottler, we're you know, small winery. So um that's still the worst job. Yeah. Yeah. Foil, yeah. It might be the worst job in the winery of all <laughs> things. The is the I don't know, person. casing um off was actually yeah, that's was true. Then you got the to, twist and you gotta be moving. Well, and the paper cuts. Yeah. Oh yeah. For oh sure. man, in like, the cardboard. Cardboard does <laughs> yeah. things to your hands, which I just never thought knew until I started yeah. working in the winery. It's, it's like, hard. Where are my hands? A, a day of bottling, you're like, God, I'm all beat up and there's a huge pile of garbage. Like, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> What's yes. going on? Not here? Fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, um, we are uh we're we're getting towards the end here. So I mean, I personally got a couple more for you. Um, as always, we appreciate you, you, you being here. Um, listeners, if you're still with us, and you better be, we're at Advanced Creative Studio. This is through the Grapevine Podcast. You're listening to this with your family on Thanksgiving, and we thank you for that. But um, nice. a name that we can't go without saying, and you, and you brought him up, uh, Mr. Julio Covarrubias of Casa oh, de Vinas Vineyard. Yes. Then the question is simple, but you know, who, who is the man for you personally? Um, who is the man for the family? I'm just curious because like, you've almost, I mean, you've almost grown up with him at this point. He's been here so long. So, I mean, that's a, I'm just curious to the relationship. Who is the guy to, to, to you? He is the man. He is. <laughs> Don't tell my husband that. <laughs> I cut that part out. I'll cut that part out. No, no. no I mean, <laughs> Julio's been the rock of Gibraltar, right, for us um, and continues to be. Um, the depth wealth of knowledge um, that he has about um, the the vineyards, the, I don't know, the tribal knowledge, if you will, of, mm. of things that have gone on in the vine- vineyards and where things, where's where's the water system? Yeah. <laughs> where's that underground <laughs> pipe I'm looking for? Right. Yeah. But his passion, his caring, his ability to um, run the number of crews that he does in the various vineyard blocks and get everything in and coordinated and done. Uh, amazing. Mm-hmm. 
just Heck a yeah. caring person too. Yeah. Like, I mean, and the guy, the kind of guy that's busy clearly all the time. But if you're like, hey, I need you right now, he'll he's stop there. what he's doing yeah. and help you pull your truck off uh, the hill and sock out in the mud. Yeah. Um, because he, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's seen uh, this exact uh, situation see. before. Um, oh yeah, yeah. been there, done that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, actually, so, one of the first times we met, um, yeah. we were hanging out. I hadn't heard. Like, and you, I'll let you do this, but I hadn't heard. I, I've only I had only heard her Julio at this point. Everyone was telling you, like, "Yeah, you haven't met Julio. You haven't met Julio. You haven't he, met Julio." He's more like a superhero at this point. He's <laughs> just like a guy you never really see unless there's an emergency, <laughs> which there was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we get up and we, you know, the two routes up to the gate at Sockout to kind of go over the canal. Um, there's the flat route that you should take if it's at all damp. Um, we kind of decided to forge the, uh, yeah. And I, I've got a big truck with four wheel drive and all those things. And we just started spinning and, uh, you know, Julio, I don't know where he is, but you call him. It's like the bat, the bat signal goes in there. And then all of a sudden he shows exactly. up, it's him and Ted. And they're like, oh yeah, for sure. Tell you what, Ted you just adorable. back up slowly, slowly. <laughs> we'll both stand here on the edge and just kind of guide it down the hill. I'm like. Julio, are you serious right now? Like, I, I'll roll the truck down the hill. I'm not going to roll over you down the down the hill, though. And yeah, they just—he's a—he's a savior. Choose to and listen just, to me or not. And he's—and he's then—and then for sure, like anything else, he'll drop like a one-liner that is just like blows your mind, and just like that, he's gone. <laughs> Julio <laughs> he's <just> me. <laughs> yeah. he is—he's uh, an amazing human. He's I love that we man. call we call him terroir. He is uh, Livermore terroir. I think he's. Part of the people and part of the Heck part yeah. of the story and the history here at this point. And what I love uh, is one memory is um, not related to vineyards, but to support of the Livermore Valley Harvest Celebration, and that was organizing um, volunteer time of our employees to um, clean the roads. Um, up Tesla and down Arroyo and remove all of the trash. And he's out there walking in front of it with the, you know, and he's like, come on, Carolyn, hurry up, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, that's it. Julio holding, and his wife, up. Marta, are just, they're amazing. You know, holding everyone accountable, right? The first pick, actually, last year, we were picking for Rosé at Julio's Vineyard. And we're going, I like to go out for the first couple, but after that, I'm done getting up at two in the morning because I got to work all day anyway. Um, but uh, they get done, and I didn't realize Marta was with the crew picking the whole time. And I'm like, man, is there just a more amazing family? Yeah. That's just, yeah. Very cool people. Here we go. What is this? This is just, uh, hey, we're, we're wrapping up here. So we are uh, approaching our destination in the uh, beautiful Livermore Valley. And I just wanted, this is your captain here. And I just wanted to give us a little something to kind of groove to as we come down from our 30,000 feet elevation. So. Miss Carolyn, it was a pleasure having you. Um, we always kind of let our, we like to let our guests kind of take us out. But for those listening to us um, during Thanksgiving week um, and just generally, you know, give, give, give us a little, send us off. Um, and, you know, what do people, what do people need to hear right now from, from you? What, what, what do you have to say to folks? I think just giving thanks for everything that we have um, as a uh community here in the Livermore Valley, the beautiful place that we live, the wonderful people that are here that, as we talked about earlier, are truly caring and um, couldn't be in a better place. Heck yeah. Colin, how are you feeling over there, man? Anything any, anything for the Thanksgivingers? Yeah. Enjoy the celebration as much as you can with the folks that are close to you and uh, drink some good wine and, and try to 
you know, let your guard down a little. Um, well, but keep your mask on. Before 10 p.m. And before 10, 10 p.m. and not actually don't go see your family because it's prohibited, I guess. Um, no. Be thankful for that. No. Be. be <laughs> hey, so many people are like, oh, be yeah, yeah, sarcastic yeah. like we have been for the last. <laughs> no. Well, I hey. guess uh, enjoy the things you've got and be grateful for the things you got and keep uh, keep the hunger for the things you want and keep it going. Wow, right. beautifully said. Yeah. Well, that wraps it up for another episode of uh, Through the Grapevine Podcast. We had the uh, fourth generation wine grower and CEO, Carolyn Wente, here with us today. We appreciate you making time for us. This was truly a treat. Um, it, you, it was truly a treat. We, we're just, it was, it, it's cool to talk to folks like you that have just done so much. A wealth of information. Yeah. I feel like great. we didn't even get a lot. And of, we didn't even, yeah. like I said, there's more. So maybe down the road, we open up a few more bottles of wine and we keep doing this. But for those can, listening and continuing to listen, December 4th, don't forget about the Wing and Bakery Way Day. Um, it is a Wing and Bakery. Um, Amy and Brian are putting together a little fundraiser that is going to the Taylor Foundation, local foundation, helping families in need and particularly, um, you know, with, with, with children with mental illnesses and disorders, um, kind of honoring their their daughter, Waylon, Waylon Wingen. So she'll be selling these amazing pieces of chocolate cake. If you've had her bagels, if you've had her bread, if you've had her cookies, you already know this. So go check out their page, go support. Um, but kind of where I want to leave it is just, you know, think small, shop small these holidays, eat, drink, and live low. That's all I have to say. Be smart. Take care of one another. We appreciate you being here. Carolyn, let's refill these glasses so I can give you a proper cheers. But heck yeah. Heck yeah. Thank you so much. Cheers. All right. Cheers. Thank you all. Absolutely. TTG. All right. All right. We did it. Thank you. Well, All right. Very fun. Thank that you guys. Was that was so easy. That was fun. Good that conversations. God, I was I was nervous this morning. I was I was too. I was too. But <laughs> we, we, we got there. Thank you for letting us talk about a few things. Well thanks for sharing this one and I seriously would like to buy some. <laughs> oh well do you have the previous vintage? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the TTG Podcast. Follow us on Instagram at TTG underscore podcast and at Nottingham Cellars for all of the latest news and specials. Located on Vascoin Research next door to the Altamont Beer Works, our taste room is open to the public Thursday through Sunday from 12 to 4.30 or book an appointment Monday through Wednesday. Remember, wine is best shared, so don't forget to plan your next special event with us using the email reservations at NottinghamCellars.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. We'll see you next time.